The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be reviewing the first couple of nights of Kazuna Road, answering your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm ready to talk about professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, uh, well, first thing before we uh, jump in on, on the professional wrestling of, of New Japan, we got to talk about the uh, fancy draft, social suplex fancy draft. The, the voting has been out. The card. Oh, you, mean, you mean the wrestling that we already talked about that uh, people need to go out there and lend their support over? Yes, uh, the voting is up. You can go to socialsuplex.com slash vote, and there you'll see all the cards listed from all the podcasts that participated in the fancy draft. You can see the cards. You can listen to the audio, the, the presentation of the cards, and, and you guys know what to do. Go over there, vote for your boys, keeping a strong style. Once again, we put together a fire card, and no, nobody's beating our card. Yeah, yeah, top to bottom, we have the strongest card uh, collectively on the network. Um, and if you guys uh, want, go ahead and check out the audio of part one and part two of the uh, Social Suplex draft this year. Really, really good audio content. And then support us uh, by voting. But even if you don't listen to the audio content, it's in the link there. Just go ahead and uh, take a look at the cards. I'm not telling you to vote for us specifically. I'm saying vote for the best card. It just happens that we are the ones with the best card, so it'll be a pretty easy, you know, um, No, it won't be a point of contention. I, I feel very confident. You're going to look at it. You're going to see, you know, Violent Giants against, uh, you know. Um, Strong BJ. 
strong BJ and you're gonna be like, Oh wow, that's amazing. You're gonna see Shingo and Daniel Bryan for the title. And you're gonna be like, wow, you know, you're gonna see Suzuki and, uh, and, uh, Nick Gage in an exploding time bomb death match from hell. And you're gonna be like, wow, I'd, I'd really like to see that. And then, you know, Hiromu and El Idolo, and it's gonna be a pretty pretty easy you know choice to make. Yeah, and we come out looking pretty ahead because you know we booked our main event with uh, Shingo winning our world title right before he actually won the IWGP World Heavyweight Title. So I mean we're, we're just ahead, man. The card, like you mentioned, is stacked. We got everything you want. We got your Puro. We have a, a fatal four way ladder match. Uh, you got some lucha. Strong style, death matches, you want it, the keeping it Joshi. strong. So, yeah, we got Joshi, uh, Tam Nakano, Julia running it back from their epic match earlier this year. This time it's hair versus career. Uh, we There's made a shoot it. style match. <laughs> yeah. Pure rules match. There's a four-way ladder match. So, I mean, like, you just, you're not going to see a better card than that. So go ahead and uh, send us the support. Make sure that we are three years running champions in the Social Suplex Fantasy Draft 2021. Yep, and that's socialsuplex.com slash vote. I'll put the link in the description. Guys, go out there and show support for what we're doing here in the network. Well, let's uh, jump in now into uh, New Japan for Kazuna Road. Uh, to open up, we have a question from Erdizer Viking Pain. He says, with Godzilla vs. Kong sponsoring Kazuna Road, why aren't they booking the Unchained Gorilla, Togi Makabe, against the dragon, Shingo Takagi? Because that man's washed. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that man what was the last time that man Togi Makabe was in the ring? Oh man. <laughs> I feel I feel like it's it's been a hot minute. I don't know. I'm going to cage match. I'll take a look. I feel like they're like Togi ready to wrestle and he's like not today. <laughs> I'm st- I'm still quarantining, brother. <laughs> last time he wrestled January 28th of 2021. He was in a tag match with uh Yuya Yumura in a losing effort against Tiger Mask and Yuji Nagata. On the road to new beginning. So, um, in this year, he's had five matches, and and I'm sure he's taken like one bump minimum, if at all, in all five of those matches. Hey man, he takes bumps in training, you know, once a week. So those add up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was on a Japanese commentary for the uh, June 15th Kazuna Road show. So I think that man's just uh, taking it easy right now. In all fairness, you, you take a look at 2020. He had a pretty busy 2020. So, I mean, I don't. who knows why he hasn't been in. But, uh, yeah, we have seen him since January. Yeah. You know, he, he had taken time off to do that uh, reality show thing uh, or some movie or something he was doing. I think it was a movie. So, you know, maybe he's, he's Hollywood now and he's only, you know, only doing commentary. You're saying he's Dave Batista? Yeah. <laughs> he's going to show up in uh, – you know, like a Japanese Marvel version of like Guardians of the Galaxy shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's talk about the uh, first Kazuna Road show here, June 14th uh, from Monday. Of course, we have the Young Lion Gauntlet trial series going on here. So this show opened up with Nor Suzuki defeating Yuyumura, 13 minutes, 55 seconds. Yumura finally getting his one on one match with Suzuki. Do you think he regretted it? Uh, he he probably did because Suzuki whooped his ass in this match. <laughs> yeah, this uh this wasn't like the glorious um, <laughs> young lions match that I was like sort of expecting. Like this was a 
you know, this is a lesson in pain. Right. You, you know, normally these young Lions, they, you go back and forth, they get that hope spot, they get, you know, get some offense, they get the veteran reeling. Not in this match. Like, this was like 95% Suzuki just beating the crap out of this dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he beat the crap out of him pretty bad. Yeah, you know, the, the months and months of, you know, Yamura trying to be a man, getting in Suzuki's face, well, it all blew up here on this evening. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I even, and the funny thing, too, is, like, they got, like, just under 14 minutes, so it wasn't even, like, a, a you know, a quick little, like, six, seven-minute squash and get him out of there. Like, this is a prolonged, sadistic, <laughs> right? you know, picking apart, very methodical. Going to make know, you feel he, it. <laughs> Suki was the cerebral assassin in there, you know. Yeah, real, real man match for Yamura. <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely worth definitely worth checking out, and uh, you know, a great way to kind of kick off the what is it five match series for him. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, towards the end here, yeah, Yamura he, do, he does you know do some flash pins, but eventually he gets uh, knocked out by a drop kick. Uh, Suzuki then gets a half crab on, uh, sits down on it, and get the verbal submission. Suzuki gets the win here. Old school. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then the second match of the evening, we have Yotasuji's first match in his gauntlet trial series as he faced off against his idol, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And Tanahashi defeated Suji 13 minutes and 36 seconds. This is good for Tanahashi to get back in the win column, get him back on a roll. Ever since he dropped the Never title, you know, he's been looking for a big win. And this was a, this was a good way to start off his... Uh, Return to form as he's getting ready to go after the world title, you know. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think they are they are planting seeds. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I think they're planting seeds for the uh, potential world title match. But yeah. Oh, the, the the company's in trouble. It's time to have Tanahashi challenge for the title. That's crazy. Never <laughs> <laughs> um, done that before. Yeah, I thought Suji looked great in this match. You know, unlike the first match where it was like a clobbering, Suji got a lot of offense in here. I saw a, a lot of new moves, and Suji targeting the knee of the ace. We've seen uh, for years now, Suji just being at ringside, watching every Tanahashi match, pounding the mat, cheering the ace on, and he, he knows the weakness. He went after the knee, and there was one point in the match where he kind of had some regret on his face after like doing a knee breaker to Tanahashi. Yeah, I mean, that's just uh, that's exploitative. Um, going after the weakness, like you said, just sitting at ringside. I'm sure, like, you know, there've been times after matches, Tanahashi's asked him to uh, to ice down various ligaments, body parts, and injured areas. And this man's like, one day, <laughs> <laughs> one day, it's not going to be uh, an ice pack. It's going to be a you know a dragon screw. Hold one of these, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I mean, this man Suji, he, he busted out a, a gory stretch in this match. Uh, he did the big swing, the Mount Suji. Um, he he tried for a, a top rope uh, Mount Suji body splash, but uh, failed to connect with Tanahashi. Yeah, this uh, felt sort of like I mean, it was the second match of the night, but it almost felt like they wrestled sort of like a main event style, almost to a certain degree. Yeah, kind of gave. This is the most we've ever seen from Suji. Um, not saying it's his greatest performance ever, because he's had some really fantastic ones, but this was like the most complete we've ever seen him as a performer in terms of like what they've allowed him to showcase. 
Yeah, and yeah, great storytelling uh, throughout until we get to the end here. Tanahashi uh, does a ripcord sling blade, gets a near fall, then slaps on the cloverleaf hold, and uh, Suji is forced to tap out. Another submission win for a veteran here as Tanahashi defeats Suji. Yeah, you got to make these uh, these young lions pay for it, you know? <laughs> make them work. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that one was good. Which uh, between these two, did you prefer the uh, Suzuki or the Tanahashi? I preferred the Tanahashi match just because it was a little bit more back and forth. Uh, you, we saw a lot of new stuff from Suji. He had some control periods in there. Uh, he, like, we mentioned, like you mentioned, he was very well rounded in, in this match. I thought I saw great emotion, great selling. I agree, but I think I, I. I was a little partial to the hard-hitting nature of the first match because mm. that was so violent, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Suzuki was trying to uh, get a, a strong-style fight of the year just by beating the crap out of <laughs> Yuimura. <laughs> I mean, they, that could be a candidate with the year we've had. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was with the, the first two trial matches there. Then the rest of the card, we had some multi-man action here. we kind of kind of run through these and just mention some highlights here. So the uh, third match, we had the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Tomoe Ishii, Toro Yano, and Yoshihashi defeating the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil Jado, and Yujiro Takahashi. Of course, this is to preview the never six-man title match that's coming next week as Goto, Ishii, and Yano will defend against Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. And then, I don't. I don't have much to add there. Yeah, neither, yeah, neither <laughs> do I. <laughs> uh, then moving on, semi main event, we had the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada, Sho, and Yo defeating the Bullet Club team of El Phantasmo, Gato, and Taiji Ishimori. This is to preview the upcoming IWGP Junior Tag Team title match that's coming with Rapungi 3K defending against the Bullet Club Juniors here. Uh, of course, with Gato on the Bull Club side, he uh, took the fall there. He's got to lose. <laughs> yes. Uh, Chaos team gets the win here. And uh, ELP just continues to make the, the back scratch more and more ridiculous with the, the flips and the push-ups and the, the duck walks in between the, the back scratch. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's getting over with me as well. <laughs> Then the uh, main event of the evening, we had L.I.J., Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating the Suzuki-Goon team of El Desperado, Taichi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. This is to uh, preview the upcoming IWGB Tag Team title match uh, for Sonata and Naito. They're, well, they're making their campaign to, to challenge for uh, the tag titles against Dangerous Techers. How do you feel about fanboy uh, Naito and Sonata fanboying for Tai Chi? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's just funny. <laughs> Getting the autograph from Tai Chi. <laughs> yeah, they've been uh, they've been making some pretty funny comments in the uh, in like their interviews and the backstage comments and everything like that. So yeah, I think it's pretty funny. Um, it's it's weird because this isn't really it doesn't feel like a heat filled. Feud. It almost feels like a, I don't know, like, like a love hate sort of situation, you know? Yeah. Well, kind it's of, weird. It's almost kind of similar to some of the the Naito Tai Chi rivalry 
where they kind of have that kind of love hate thing going on until it got a little bit more serious closer to the match. Yeah, usually with them it gets pretty serious, and then you know you think back on Naito and Zack Saber's history with one another. There's no love lost there, and then obviously Sonata and Saber sort of had like a very uh, storied thing as well. But for for the time being, they're kind of going like the lighthearted route a little bit, almost like a in a sense they're sort of like belittling them, but also it's sort of like a camaraderie sort of thing. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a playful, like, we're both, like, tweener, baby ish teams, and we're just kind of, you know, having fun. Uh, Remember when um, freaking Naito and Jay White had that weird feud the first time for the icy belt? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me, some of, the, some of the shenanigans remind me of that a little bit. Yeah. I'm sure these guys are just trying to find ways to uh, entertain themselves in this uh, huge stretch of uh, and shows that we're getting here for this uh, Kazuna Road Tour. Yeah, uh, and the rest of us as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh, the LIJ team gets the win here. Shingo puts away Kanamaru to uh, get the win here. And uh, on the English, you know, Kevin Kelly did a great job of uh, – bringing back the the Shingo Kanamaru match from Super Juniors and, and kind of the rivalry there and how Kanamaru pushed Shingo during that tournament with the uh, the work on the knee here but also you know Shingo's a heavyweight now world champ now was able to take out Kanamaru get the win here for the LIJ team uh, did have uh, two questions here first from Reddit user Germanis he says on night 1 of Kazuno Road in his post match comment Shingo said that his match with Ibushi needs the biggest stage that sounds like the postponed Russell Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome to me. What say you? I thought he meant uh, New Japan World is what I thought he meant. It needed to be featured on New Japan World as the big stage. Mm. Yeah. I also think maybe, so, he, maybe he meant TNT. You know, they that's to, not. Yeah, fly not, them boys over or get on, on cable. No one, no one in Japan would see it. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I agree. I think he, it sounds like he probably is alluding to one of those dome shows, which would make sense to me. So, yeah, and we've kind of heard some speculation that that show would probably be coming sometime late in the summer um, before uh, G One would happen, and they're definitely planning to at least do the Tokyo Dome show. Well, that makes a ton of sense. I just don't know if you you, you want to wait until potentially. August to do that title match uh, Man, poor Ibushi He's going to lose in the Dome And then he's not going to win the G1 This man's done, he's cooked <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just playing um, But yeah, I mean and, Any other speculation, I think there's Unless it's, what We've got Kazuna Road and Summer Struggle coming up I mean Right, and there, there's a couple big shows on the Summer Struggle Tour One in Nagoya I think there's like two in Osaka I forget the exact schedule It's like three or four big shows that are coming up on on the Summer Struggle That I would think you would do a, at least one IWGP World Title match on one of those shows Hmm Well, we will figure that out shortly yeah. uh, Maybe he's lobbying that it needs to be on one of the bigger shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll see um, what happens there. Rambone Slam Pig asked us, which wrestler on the current NJPW roster would benefit the most from a new finishing move? He votes for Sonata. Yeah, I mean, 
Tanaka is a top candidate there. Uh, with the, we've we've you know talked about it over and over again about the skull end and how it's you know how loose it looks and it's it's not just that. I mean, he's got the skull end and then he's got the uh, TKO. Yeah, I guess the TKO is sort of like a young line uh, finish when he beats young lines. Yeah, that's one of his signature moves. But the 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 big one is the Muda Moonsault. Mm-hmm, yeah, but yeah, I think that. That's a, he's a really great candidate for someone that could really use a, a, a new finish. Um, kind of looking at the uh, the roster that they have right now, I'm like, I I, I think I'd be hard pressed to argue against that answer. Yeah, I know we've we've talked about Yoshihashi's butterfly lock, but he's done a great job on kind of modifying that and adding the Kimura element to the butterfly lock, which actually makes the whole so much better and looks pretty cool. I'm just I'm personally I'm looking through the roster because I didn't know this question was coming. I'm just trying to think like, um, you know who's someone that might benefit from a a new finish? Yeah, maybe evil. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with everything is evil. I mean, what it's a he usually does what it's a STO, right? Yeah, it's like a spin out STO. Yeah. And it's fine, and there is nothing wrong with it. I just feel like that man's kind of cooked, and he like was the IWGP champion last year. <laughs> he might no, want to. No, no, he wasn't. You know. We're, we're retconning that. He he's he's still a part of Lij. He's just a little confused right now. That that title reign never happened. Sometimes you need like something to to freshen you up a bit. Like nothing freshens up a guy better than like debuting a new finish. Yeah, that might be that might be something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I've always liked the the darkness fall that kind of sit out, uh, yeah, slam thing that he does. I, like, I always like that better than the everything is evil. But yeah, you know, if he ever does get back in a singles role again or, or challenges for a title, I definitely think they need to uh, give him a new finish. Yeah, I mean, the only problem with that though is like once you have a signature, it's really hard to take your signature and elevate it up to your finish after it's been established. Uh, I mean, the only person I could think of that ever did that successfully in my memory, and I'm sure there's other examples, but the one that comes to mind is Shawn Michaels when he, you know, because he used to have that teardrop suplex was his finish for a long time. Yeah. And and then he always did the super kick as just like a signature move. And then event, but the, if you notice the big difference of how he, he was able to get that over was tuning up the band. Right. You yeah. know, add some uh, theatrics to it. Yeah, I think if you add some theatrics to a move that was your signature, you can maybe get it over, you know. But uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, um. Yeah, I'm 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 looking at the rest of the maybe David Finley. With the uh, the prima nocta that um, slice bread that he does slice bread stunner thing. That's it, fine, but you know I feel like he's on the cusp right now. He might be someone that could really benefit from having like a new finisher, maybe even um. Maybe Yoshihashi. I think Sonata's the right answer, though. Probably. How do you feel about uh, Bushi's uh, MX, the top rope, uh, or I guess the mid-rope code breaker? There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's a situational move. Um, the thing is, like, it just depends. Like, do you want to push Bushi or not? Like, I think Bushi's good, but I'm not, like, crazy about Bushi, so, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe Juice. Juice could really use some sprucing up. 
Yeah, because he's got what the uh, pulp, pulp friction, friction, which is the unprettier, aka kill switch. He's had it for a long time, and I feel like it's one of those moves that it's a good move. People reverse it a lot, but if he had something like if they wanted to like re-establish him, give him a new big finish, that might be a good idea. Yeah, whenever, but, yeah. whenever they whenever he comes back, especially he might be back maybe for like maybe G one, and yeah, give him like a hot run in there with a new finish would be cool. My whole thing is if, if they were going to give me a new finish, I wouldn't want a new finish unless I knew, like, I'm going to be, like, tip-top guy. Right. So, yeah, what's the point of debuting a new finish if you're just going to kind of be in the same spot? Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on now to the June 15th show. It happened uh, this morning from Cork and Hall. We had match number two in the Gauntlet Trial Series for Yumura and Tsuji. So once again, Yumura opened up the show. This time, he was facing the submission master one half of the tag champs, Zack Sabre Jr. And uh, this was a match of 12 minutes, 34 seconds. What do you think about this one? Uh, this one was very good. Um, I think with Yuya, what we're kind of seeing is that he's just like, he's ready, you know? Like, he's got all the tools. We've been saying it for a while, but like, he's shown it. You know, in Best of Super Juniors, he's showcasing it here in the, this uh, five-match series. Uh, the match with Zach very, very different from the match he had the day prior. And we can see that he's able to work a technical style. He's able to tell, you know, compelling stories, whether he's shown as being a competent competitor or, you know, babyface in peril. Um, he, he pretty much can do it all. And there's a few moments where I kind of think – in kayfabe, Zach was surprised and impressed with you, Yumar here. Yeah, I would say that as well, too. There's some moments where Yumar kind of fired up and just had a, a lot of great reversing. It's great technical wrestling. There was one point where um, Yumar got him in the, the, the European clutch uh, for a great near fall and was just kind of really you know hanging in there with Sabre. Yeah, and hats off to Zach for being pretty generous in that sense as well, obviously. Right. Um, this kind—it kind of reminded me of like a miniature version of what we got with the Gabe Kid, Zack Saber match during the uh, New Japan Cup a little bit. Right, and we've seen in the past too when Zack is facing off against guys that he's more technically sound. He just kind of eats them up and mm. or totally just you know overpower them and over kind of control the match. And so yeah, definitely made you more look great here. Yeah, definitely. Um, but once again. Yuya does not have the stones to get the job done on the big stage. Goes 0 and 2, which is like, uh, man, that's just uh, rough I don't start. Know what's going to happen here? Yeah, Saber got him in the uh, double arm bar here. Get the submission victory. Mm-hmm. The next matchup we had uh, the other half of Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi, as he took on and defeated. Yota Suji, 14 minutes and 14 seconds. Yeah, again, another uh, really good matchup here. Another good showing from Suji. Again, this one, uh, kind of a, another, not as hard-hitting as uh, Suzuki and Yumura from the day previous, but this was a uh, pretty hard-hitting here uh, with Tai Chi obviously laying in the kicks and the strikes here. But, uh, you know, it, Suji wasn't enough for Tai Chi to rip, rip the pants off here. Yes. Um, yeah. He didn't even need to really <laughs> where, where Zach was uh, giving Tai Chi was a little bit less. So, yeah, but uh, Suji did, did some cool stuff here. Some cool arm drags that um, 
Suji did, especially for like a guy his size and seeing some of the cool stuff that he was doing with those arm drags. Um, yeah, but some lucha. Yeah. But yeah, Tai Chi kind of. I, I just imagine him like doing like a, a, a Matt Jackson or Nick Jackson, like, Lucha Libre, Lucha Libre. Who knows? Maybe maybe Suji's angling to go to a CMLL for his excursion. Well, remember he was actually. Uh, sorry, yeah, he did. Yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, but I don't know if you want to go to Mexico right now. Yeah. Well, plus, like, why would he? He why would he limit himself to CMLL when the big the big show in town is Federation, right? <laughs> now that, right. That that's cooked. <laughs> oh wait, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean it's cooked? You you saw the news. <laughs> Federation's not happening. That's crazy. It's almost as if someone on this show, you know, told everybody that that shit was never, ever, ever, ever going to happen. And the other one of us was like, "Well, we'll see." Hey, man, I I, I was just trying to see Lucha Bros versus Bandito and Dragon Lee. Okay. Oh God, that was never gonna happen. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's, all, that's all I wanted, man. <laughs> Well, maybe one day we'll see us, Suji, um, <laughs> uh, there in Arena, Mexico. But yeah, Taichi uh, gets the big win here. Yeah, Axe Bomber, dangerous backdrop driver, dropping uh, Suji on his head until eventually hits the thrust kick. One, two, three, gets the win. Uh, Post match, kind of smacking uh, Suji around as well. So, dude, Taichi came from you know. The school where Kawada just beat the shit out of him all the time. So, you know, he just, he's paying it back, you know? <laughs> yeah. Pay, paying it forward to the next generation. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's going to bring us to the rest of the show. Uh, Six-man tag team match show, Toriano and Yo from Chaos. They defeated the Bull Club team of El Fantasmo, Jado and Taiji Ishimori. So Jado taking the fall here. Anything that you thought about this one? Now, fine little match. Um, some kind of funny stuff there with uh, Yano and Jado in the middle, with uh, you know, kind of dueling with the the turnbuckle pad and the kendo stick. Um, I personally was super low on this match. I'm, I kind of felt like it was a, a almost a bit of a waste of time, to be honest. Yeah, I kind of wish this would have opened because the the two young lion matches blew this out of the water as far as in ring work. Oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, f- most of the they're blowing most of the rest of the show away for yeah. for me, anyways. Yeah. Uh, after that, we had the chaos team of Goto, Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi defeating the Bullet Club team of Dick Togo, Evil Gato, and Yujiro Takahashi. One thing we forgot to mention, and it was true on this day as well as the day before. The interactions between Tomohiro Ishii and uh, Dick Togo are pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, they have been. Like, the strike exchanges that they've been doing, it's been getting real heated there. I haven't watched all the backstage comments yet, but I, I know one popped up with uh, Ishii, like, wanting to get, you know, run it with Dick Togo. Uh, yeah, he was saying he's going to bring out the real Dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a literal thing that he said. Yeah. But, um, and uh, post match, he like grabbed the garrote wire away from him and was like chasing him with it. I think um, I think like you know the reports that there's some heat in the backstage. Someone uh, someone put out a hit on that man Ishii's like I'll cash in. Yes. <laughs> the whole time I was thinking, yeah, this is what happens when the you know the creator doesn't put you in a title match and Ishii just <laughs> taking that on that man. Yeah, Ishii's taking out his frustrations. He's like evil. 
<laughs> put over evil. <laughs> oh man. So then that uh brings us to the semi or second actually the main event here with uh LIJ, Bushi Shingo, and Naito defeating Kanahashi, Tenzan, Kabushi, uh, Koto Ibushi, and Master Wato, 18 minutes. Who's in. Kabushi? <laughs> I, I combined his name there. Kabushi! <laughs> um, Yo, one of the funniest things is like, um, Rich, what up, Rich? His um, his wife, she um, obviously, she's not a big wrestling fan, but like, he showed her that clip of Harley Race when he's like, the hit on Ric Flair, and he's like, in that clip, he's like, Kabuki. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're hanging out with him, like every once in a while, she'll do it, and it's really funny. <laughs> Dude, speaking of uh, Ric Flair, uh, my girlfriend, she loves the like the way Ric Flair sells, and loves like when he does kind of like, the, the begging off thing, like on his knees, and like the no, no, no. Wait. What what Ric Flair has she been watching? Well, apparently, like I guess, like people, like some family, like growing up, like used to watch wrestling, and like she would see like Flair. And, oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, I thought like I thought you were making her watch like you know him and Ron Garvin or some shit. No, well, cause, well, we were watching because we were waiting to watch Dynamite, and then she was ta- talking about Ric Flair and how much she like loves his selling, how over top it is, until so we started watching a bunch of Ric Flair stuff. We we're watching a. Uh, Flair and uh, Dusty, uh, the match where uh, it stopped with a ref stoppage because Dusty was bleeding too much. Uh, Starcade '84. Yeah. Um, and so we're pretty sure Starcade '84. Yeah. Watching all these different Flair uh, matches and clips and stuff like that it was hilarious. Yeah, that match is not that great actually, but yeah, him and I, I enjoyed the stuff with him and Dusty. That's funny. <laughs> Literally all day, like every day, I could like just I could just watch Ric Flair all day. Yeah, he's a man. But, yeah, as a kid, bro, as a kid, I did not like Ric Flair. I, like I thought, I thought Ric Flair sucked as a kid. I really don't remember having strong feelings about Ric Flair as a kid. Well, see, growing up, I had this VHS tape of. Um, it was a two two part VHS tape of the best of Starcade eighty three to eighty seven. I've talked about it on the show before, but like that was like for for a lot of tape traders, that's a pretty rare tape. I don't have it anymore, but it was like I didn't know this. It's worth a lot of money apparently, and it was like the one of the holy grails of like you know commercial tapes because it had um, three matches from Starcade eighty three that never like were never released and a lot of the matches on it are really good. So I saw a lot of flair growing up early on, plus just everything else. And like, I just thought he sucked. I was like, plus his hair was white. And I was like, dude, these, these are old matches. And this man was already old in like the eighties before I was born. He was old. Like how, how fucking old is this dude? You know, I thought like, you know, people make fun of like Vince for like, ousting the old guys in like 93 there might have been for me there might have been something to it because i i was i was over flair in 93 i was like this guy's fucking old like what is going on there's no way he's beating hulk hogan (laughs) (laughs) you you didn't think hogan Hogan was old with the uh the ball head no no of course not he bro can an old man rip off of rip off his shirt (laughs) 
can an old man power, you know, body slam Andre the Giant and have 24-inch pythons? No, bro. That's not an old man. He's, you know. God. <laughs> that's how I saw wrestling, bro. Some of, some of the best workers I thought sucked. I thought William Regal sucked. Yeah, I, I thought that too. I thought Regal sucked. Oh, God. I, I hated him. I thought he sucked bad. I, I really didn't like Ted DiBiase. I thought he was boring. And I really didn't like Ric Flair. And those are like three of my favorite guys now. And like my favorite wrestler was the Ultimate Warrior. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember not liking uh, Fit Finley. Oh, I didn't like Fit Finley either. <laughs> I really didn't like him. I thought he sucked. <laughs> I had no idea. Oh, man. Uh, but uh, main event here, uh, LIJ team gets the win. Uh, this time, Bushi was in the match, so we got some interactions with Bushi uh, and Shingo as we um, get ready for their upcoming world title match wherever and wherever that may be. Uh, but good little match here uh, to end the show. Yeah, I mean, we could kind of complain a little bit that we don't have a set date, but you know, recently most of the title matches have had little to no build. So I guess I'm, we're on the opposite end of the spectrum where it seems like we're going to have an endless build to this match. So I wish we could just find like a happy medium where like meaningful interactions happen, you know, in an appropriate amount of time so that we, you know, have the right amount of anticipation for these big title matches. But, um, you know, I think I, I guess I would say I prefer this over, you know, the no build. So, I don't right. know. So that wraps up that show. We have uh, two Casino Road shows coming up before the next time we record on Wednesday, or well, this says tomorrow, or by the time you're hearing this today, June 16th, we'll have the third matches in the Gauntlet Trial Series. We'll have Yumura taking on Tanahashi. and Tanahashi on the on the road back to redemption. <laughs> yes. You know, he's 1-0 in his way back. He's going <laughs> to attempt to be 2-0 against Young Lions, beating Yuya Imura, so you know, go ace. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, Okada's also trying to rebuild here as he takes on Yota Suji. In oh, the- yeah. You know what this is like? This is like uh, when um, they told The Rock he needed to go back to the back of the line face the Brooklyn Brawler, you know? <laughs> yeah, Okada, you, you lost a Shinko. You gotta start from scratch, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yoda Suji's looking to rebound too, so you know, some tough losses. He's gonna take it out on Okada. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Okada, his, his uh, confidence is shattered, man, after eating that last of the dragon. So I, I think Well, so. it's about to be completely decimated when he, you know, eats a Boston crab from Yota Suji. Yeah, I, th- I think Suji might finally hit the top rope uh Mount Suji splash and it might be game time for Okada. He's gonna hit a high fly flow. <laughs> Wouldn't that shit be funny if <laughs> Suji tried to do that? That would be hilarious. Like he should just start oh. doing like sling blades, dragon screws, <laughs> the clover leaf. Oh man, yeah. Oh, anyways, uh, the rest of the show we got Tenkoji uh, teaming up with Yuji Nagata, the third generation, or is it fourth? Fourth generation, um, taking on the Great Bash heel team: Togi Makabe, Tomoaki Hanma. And Kota Ibushi, fourth match, we have Suzuki Goon, El Desperado, Taichi, Yoshinabu, Kenamaro, and Zack Sabre Jr. 
they will be taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, Takaki, and Tetsuya Naito. And then in the main event, we have a 10-man tag team elimination match as the Chaos team of Goto, Sho, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi will be facing the Bullet Club. Dick Togo, El Phantasmo, Evil, Taiji Ishimori, and Yujiro Takahashi. If in 2017 you told me the Bullet Club, and then you said Dick Togo, <laughs> El Fantasmo, Evil, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, man. Somebody hit the random button on the Fire Pro. <laughs> and then uh, Tuesday, oh. June 22nd. Where's Cody Hall? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Tuesday, June twenty second, we have Tai Chi taking on Yu Yomura and Zack Saber Jr. taking on Yota Suji. Yeah, Dangerous Tiger's got to do it to him again. Yeah, this time, yeah, it's reversed, and I feel like we're going to see uh, similar results in uh, both of those matches. And then the rest of the card will have Okada, Sho, Yo, and Toriano taking on the Bull Club team of ELP, Gato, Jado, and Taiji Shimori. Then semi-main event, Tenkoji, Ibushi, and Nagata taking on Los Ingobernables de Japón. And then the main event will have the never openweight six-man tag team titles on the line as Hiroki Goto, Tomoro Ishii, and Yoshihashi will defend against the Bull Club team of Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro Takahashi. Do you think we are getting new champs next week or will the Chaos team retain? Um, in this case, it's a really tough one. I mean, I, I already kind of gave my, uh, you know, assessment a little bit jokingly the other week when I said, you know, it's a win-win because it either sidelines evil and saddles him with, you know, never six man tag team titles, or, you know, we keep up this, uh, this fantastic never six man tag team run with chaos. Um, so I don't really know. I, I'm going to say Bullet Club wins, but I, I'm, I'm shooting in the dark here because yeah. at this point, I mean, I don't know. It does kind of feel weird to, to think Dick Togo and Yujiro would be champions, but it's it's the never title. so Right. I feel like it's one of those one of these kind of wacky trios where it's like you wouldn't expect Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro to win. And so that kind of makes me think they're winning. Uh so yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it out there as well. I'm gonna go yeah, Bull Club of uh, a tile change here, big upset in the uh, Corken Hall here. Hmm. Well, we will see. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I'd, I'd like for Chaos to keep winning. The only thing is, I'm kind of hoping Ishii comes off the belts by G1 time. Hmm. Get, get uh, that man ready. Get that man ready to win this G1. Get the, <laughs> you know, get, get a dome match. You know. Hey, at this point, anything can happen. Um. I think, you know, we could not. Def- that's not true. Anything <laughs> can happen other than Ishii winning the IWGB title. <laughs> but I'd like I'd like for him to get a shot. Yeah. I mean, I, I could I could see him beating Shingo uh, in the G1, setting up a fall tile defense before the dome. I could see him beating Shingo, period. Fuck Shingo. <laughs> it's all about Ishii. <laughs> Uh, we had a question here from EMJ Does PR. He wants to know what's our favorite Young Lion versus Senpai match. I was a little confused by this question. Does he mean in in this series or just all time? Like, um, I'm not sure. 
I, when I read it, I, kinda, yeah. I thought maybe meant all time. Okay, I don't know if I really have a strong answer for that, to be honest. Um, I mean, do you have an answer? Not really. I mean, obviously, there's there's been a ton of good Young Lion versus, you know, New Japan Dad versus roster members, but there's not really one that really kind of sticks out. I mean, one that kind of sticks out because it's different was uh, John Moxley versus Shoto Umino, and just kind of how it was just like a, a, a mauling, and uh, it built that relationship between Mox and Shooter. Yeah, I guess that could be a good answer. Um, there's a there's a match with um, Kanemoto and Okada that's pretty okay that that exists out there, I believe. Um, there's an Inoki versus Suzuki match from like 88, 89. That's pretty good. Um, those, I, I don't know. I, I really loved the Zack Sabre Gabe Kid match from this past yeah, year. Yeah, that, that was great. So, I don't know. Well, if that, those would be my answers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that, let's move on over to the States here for New Japan Strong on the road to ignition. Uh, the opening match, we had Hikaleo defeating Alex Coughlin, seven minutes and seven seconds. Uh, kind of a, uh, you know, Haas match here, the size of, of Coughlin and the, the size of Hikaleo. And these guys were really laying into each other, throwing each other around. But it was the, the young gun, the, the young line of the Bull Club that gets the win here. Uh, but post-match, Alex Coughlin, you know, cut this, this impassioned promo. Doesn't care if he's losing. He, he wants to take on anybody and anybody. And when we preview next week, we'll see uh, somebody kind of answers his open challenge. Hmm. I, I actually thought of two more. Okada versus Tanahashi. Before, mm. before Okada left to go on an excursion. That one's really good. Um, and then... Yes, yes, the Koji. Yeah, Okada fought Koji Kanemoto at New Japan Alive, November thirtieth, two thousand nine. That one's on New Japan World, so if you haven't seen it, recommend it. Uh, the other one is Jay White and Kenny Omega. Oh yeah, I, I remember watching that match. That one's very good. So, yeah, that, that's a really good one. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up. Um. Then uh, second match on Strong, we had Leo Rush and Rocky Romero defeating Clark Connors and the DKC. And a uh, big story here post match, there was uh, you know, a pull apart between Rocky and Clark Connors. So it yeah, like it there was an interesting moment. Clark Connors did a spear to Leo Rush, but speared him in the back, so like a reverse spear. Yeah, that was dope. Yeah, I kind of like <laughs> popped when he did that. Looked like he killed that man. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. And, so yeah, I guess we're setting up a uh, Clark Connors, Rocky Romero match uh, down the line here. And then the main event, we had the debut, the strong debut of Fred Yehi as he teamed up with Wheeler Utah, and they defeated Jordan Clearwater and Mysterioso. So, uh, continuing the story that we saw a couple weeks ago of Clearwater and Mysterioso, they lost to the West Coast Wrecking Crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. And once again, they, they lost to a, a debuting Fred Yehi and the first time Yehi and Utah teamed on strong in a post-match. Mysterioso kind of blaming it all on Jordan Clearwater. But Clearwater's like, hey, man, we're a team. We win together, we lose together. 
it's pretty cool how New Japan keeps bringing in like the pure wrestlers, you know, the guys that like you could easily see like being in like a blood sport sort of environment. Freddie Ahai is just one of those guys. Like he's just kind of always existed out there, like in the Midwest and you know that sort of area, Chicago area. People sort of forget, you know, that you know he exists. But I mean, he's always been great in you know Evolve, AEW, you know PWG, that sort of thing. But uh, it's really cool to kind of see him uh, get a chance, you know, here in New Japan. Um, yeah, I'm. I, and I, it's, I, I, it, oh, good. Oh, good. No, no, go I'm gonna say yeah. I'm, Really love uh, Freddie High style. Love this finisher. He had the Koji clutch in and then kind of, kind of pounded out um, Jordan Clearwater while having the Koji clutch in with his uh, other hand. And so, always liked his style. You know, the, the Savage Week, like you mentioned, a lot of great stuff in Evolve, uh, especially, you know, doing that kind of catch point era. And so, yeah, he, he's going to fit in very well uh, in New Japan. Yeah. Um, and I think it's kind of fitting that, like, <laughs> Jordan Clearwater and Mysterioso are just they're sort of like the welcome wagon the dudes that like lose to the incoming like bigger stars the guys that are already like more established than them they just like and I would feel bad about it but like I don't really like Jordan Clearwater so it's fine <laughs> yeah I, I, I have a feeling that this is probably gonna lead to a, a heel turn for him and we'll see some kind of big match with him and Mysterioso uh, next week in big news we have the debut of the Impact X Division champion Josh Alexander as he will be taking on Alex Coughlin. Alex Coughlin put out an open challenge and the challenge was answered by Josh Alexander. Uh, so that's a big deal. Plus Josh Alexander just coming off that, um, you know, very much lauded and heralded uh, 60 man Iron Man, 60 minute Iron Man match with TJP over the X Division title. Um, that is available, I think, on YouTube, right? Yep, it's on the Impact YouTube channel. Yep. Yeah, they uploaded it. Uh, so that's cool. Um, also, Barrett Brown and Bateman will be taking on Adrian Quest and Fred Rosser. And in the main event, Satoshi Kojima against Jared Kratos, beefy boy match. Yeah, yeah, both those matches were set up uh, from the previous week. So Barrett Brown and Bateman, we saw Bateman help Barrett Brown beat Adrian Quest, and then Fred Rosser telling Adrian that he would have his back. So look at that set up there, and then uh, we saw the team Filthy against um, Kojima and Fredericks, and the, the beef that Kojima and Kratos had there, setting up this big uh, main event match here for Kojima on Strong. Really looking forward to that. That should be. Uh, you know, nice little hoss match with a hard-hitting action there. And then on June 25th, it was announced we have our next strong openweight title match. The champion, Filthy Tom Lawler, will defend against the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks. What do you think about this upcoming title match? Very excited for it. Um, you know, I don't know really what to expect, but I'm very excited for it for sure. Yeah, I think it should be a great matchup, great um Tests and great spotlight for Fredericks to be in there with somebody like Tom Lawler being this main event title match. Um, personally, if it was me, I, I would kind of like to see Lawler retain, maybe rack up a few more defenses. Seems like he's going to be defending the belt at least once a month. So I, I would like to at least see him get maybe like five or six defenses under his belt, kind of build him up as a dominant champion, and then get somebody over by beating the dominant champion. Yeah, it feels a little too soon. <clears throat> to see a title change, especially since they, I feel like they just started really building up uh, Carl Fredericks uh, to be like in contention. But you know, you never know. I mean, 
I don't really know what the uh, the current contracted status of you know filthy even is. So that might be something to kind of consider. But overall, this is a this is probably like the first really truly big showcase match for Carl Fredericks. I mean, the the only other uh, you know uh, event that comes to mind was like when he first had that match with Kenta, right? Um, so this is gonna be a big test for him, win, lose, or draw. But um, I personally don't think he's ready to be the the standard bearer, the guy that carries that. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they see something that we haven't seen. You know, and they'll give him the chance to showcase it. Either way, I think this is going to be very good. Yeah, and so far, you know, with these, with these strong title matches, they're two really credible guys that it can go either way. So it's pretty exciting to kind of watch these matches and kind of be on the edge of your seats. Like, who's actually going to walk out with a championship? So, yeah, because I mean, anything could really happen. There's not a lot of precedent here, so we don't know exactly what to expect, and we don't know exactly long term what this project is even going to be so it's hard to have any sort of like uh preconceived notions you know yeah well speaking of kind of what the project is going to be uh we have some questions here uh first from uh ready to whiz factor he says given the new talent showing up on strong in the recent contract signings of wrestlers like fred rosser and leo rush prior to his retirement what is the long-term goal for new japan of america yeah, that's something I I can't really answer. I mean, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of seen the the interviews from Obari. Um, it, it seemed like Strong also just kind of started off as a um, you know something for the the guys in town to do in, in the pandemic, not being not being able to go over to Japan. But it seems like you know they're kind of being invested in Strong. Obari says he wants to bring Strong to Japan. Um, and so I think eventually we're going to see this thing maybe get some fans, do some more touring, and I think it's going to play a more crucial part in the Western expansion. Yeah, and I mean, it, it kind of just depends. I mean, you know, everything that happened with the uh, pandemic, it's really hard to say what their long-term plans even are, you know. Um, but, you know, assuming that some of those same goals and endpoints are retained. I'm assuming at some point they're still hoping to run live tours. They're still hoping to, you know, do live taping uh, of shows and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it, it kind of remains to be seen, but some of the, like you mentioned, some of the recent signings that they've made, um, you know, give me reason to believe that they, you know, have some optimistic uh, viewpoints when it comes to this project. Yeah. And uh, there's more to his question here. He says, is Strong meant to be a placeholder show for something more ambitious in the future? How much of a role will Japanese talent play in the American shows and vice versa? Could previous efforts like Dragon Gate USA give us clues as to how this Western push will work out? Um, well, we've kind of alluded to that when we first heard about, you know, New Japan of USA branch sort of starting up. And hopefully it's not really something akin to Dragon Gate USA because that didn't turn out so well. <laughs> yeah. Long term. But um you know, with that being said, I mean it could be a placeholder. I mean, I could see a situation where, you know, this was something that was a pandemic era project and then they kind of expand it a bit once crowds become an available option. 
And maybe that's something that they are hoping to potentially pitch to television companies because the one thing that really matters here, I mean, it's dollars and cents. And at the end of the day, if this is something that they plan to do anything with, they need TV. Right. And like you uh, mentioned, I think it was last week, a couple weeks ago, with Strong, it's kind of a, a money loser right now because obviously there, there's no fans. They're not uh, getting any you know, live revenue from that right now. And so they're not making any money with Strong. So you definitely need, you know, TVD will help and getting fans paying for the show will help as well. Yeah, agreed. Uh, which leads to our next question from Oscar Rooney. He says, June 15th, Cali is reopening. Should we expect Strong to have an audience for the next set of tapings? I think it's a possibility. I wouldn't say I expect it because who knows? They might have already taped. But right. yeah. I, I think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I'm not sure what, you know, the, the strong tapings, they're, they're kept very, you know, um, under, under you know, under the rug there. They're very secretive of when those tapings are happening. So I'm not sure when even the next set of tapings are or how many they have in the can. But hopefully whenever they do film again, it's to a point where they can get fans back in the building. Because honestly, I think strong is one of the best hours of wrestling that's going right now. And I think having a you know a live crowd there, I'm not sure how much fans can fit in that um, arena there. Maybe you know 300, 500 fans, I think would be great to help the environment of that show. Yeah, I agree. And then Dom Homie 101 asks thoughts on Josh Alexander appearing on an upcoming episode of New Japan Strong. I'm very excited about it. I've always really liked Josh Alexander. Um, Really like his style, hard hitting, very technical. Um, you know, obviously there's amateur influence there, and uh, was a big fan of the North. You know, uh, I've I've heard the joke that uh, Voices Wrestling made on their Twitter, and I've always thought it was a pretty apt comparison. They said the North wrestles the way that FTR claims they wrestle, <laughs> 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 and I've always found that to be pretty true. Um, but yeah, I think he's been he's looked really good and really motivated in this current X division run from what I've seen. And um you know, we'll see what this means. I mean, it's kind of exciting just a, a you know, another crossover from this whole impact, you know, sort of talent trade work and relation which is pretty cool. Yeah, big fan of the walking weapon Josh Alexander. Uh, like you I loved him teaming up with Ethan Page as the North uh, stuff that did an impact on and on the independents, and I've seen a couple of the other independent stuff in the singles run. Yeah, really technical. You know, anybody that wears a singlet uh, kind of gets over with me instantly <laughs> due to my amateur background. Uh, and so, yeah, Josh Alexander, he's a real deal. I, I watched the the Iron Man that he had with TJP this weekend. Awesome matchup, definitely. Like we mentioned, go out and check that out on on the Impact uh, YouTube channel here. And I think he's a guy that I would love to see them maybe kind of bring in more often. If you know we're going to have this kind of re- revolving door of Impact guys coming in, why not have Josh Alexander be a guy that comes in and does some uh, you know, dates for you? Absolutely. So we have a few news items here, then uh, several questions, and then we can get into the uh, recommended match of the week. Um, so first thing here, like I mentioned, during Strong, Fred Rosser announced that he's signed an exclusive agreement with New Japan. Uh, Rosser confirmed on his Twitter um, yesterday afternoon, I'm excited to officially announce I've signed with NJPW. 
All I can say moving forward is don't ever let your dreams just be dreams because as long as you're patient and believe in your dreams, anything is possible. Patience is a talent. Young boy, thoughts on Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, being an official NJPW roster member now? Well, you know, it kind of speaks to the questions that we were asked earlier about the aspirations of, um, you know, Strong and the New Japan of America sort of thing. Uh, do I think this means that Fred Rosser could potentially be coming over to New Japan proper? Like, yes, I do but I don't know how that will work out or, you know, what role he'll really facilitate or anything like that. But he's already got a foothold here in the USA branch of new Japan. And so that kind of tells me that there, I'm not, again, I'm not discounting that he might end up working in Japan, but it tells me that if they are planning some sort of expansion, you know, broadening um, the project, then he'll probably be a key element of that. Yeah, and I've thought he, you know, he's been a really good part of Strong thus far. I think he's um, kind of been breaking out with the WWE style and doing a little bit more of the New Japan style in, in his recent outings. And so, I think the more he wrestles there, he's going to continue to improve, especially when he gets to Japan and gets to wrestle, you know, guys like Tanahashi and Ishii, you know, Kata and Suzuki and all those guys. It's going to be a great learning experience for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I mean, we've already kind of seen him make some strides. Uh, so far, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not personally the biggest fan, but I mean, it'd be hard to deny that he's not, you know, a very good wrestler and, you know, people seem to be taking a liking to him, uh, in this current run. And, you know, this might help him to, you know, even great to an even greater extent, assimilate into the, you know, new Japan style. Yeah. And uh, last week we kind of touched on this news a little bit because it broke as we were recording, but we can touch on it just, uh, one more time here with Leo Rush uh, announcing that he's retiring from pro wrestling. Leo Rush, only 26 years old, uh, wrote on his Instagram that he had separated his AC joint during his appearance at AW Double or Nothing where he was the Joker in the Casino Battle Royal. And because of that, it's given him time to think about what I do what do in his life and leading to his decision to retire. Once he's healed, he did say he will be uh, making final appearances for NJPW, where he is currently signed to. Yeah, and that's a that's an interesting thing there. Um, I don't know exactly what that means. I'm guessing he has some more dates that he has to fulfill, but I mean. Who knows what that means? Like, let's just say hypothetically, (laughs) you know, we're just kind of talking here. What if he's got a year left on his contract, you know, and he's like, I got to fill out the rest of my dates. And it's like a year. And he's like, I'm retiring, but I'm going to be around for the next year. You know, Uh, that would seem kind of weird. So I'm guessing, is there a chance that these signed contracts that, like him and Fred Rosser and other guys are signing with new Japan. Maybe they're short term deals like, you know, um, three months, you know, three sets of taping, something like that. Yeah. Could that be a possibility? Yeah. I think that they could potentially do like a short term deals for these U S guys, especially since, you know, they haven't been able to get any of them over into Japan. They don't even know when that could happen. Maybe they want to do short contracts in case those guys maybe want to do other stuff in the States, but um, there's been a lot of rumor and speculation that Rush was kind of penciled in to be a big part of the junior division once the boards opened up and that he would, you know, go over, do best super juniors, be a, you know, a top challenger for the championship. And so 
maybe he did have a longer deal. It's also we don't know, but I do think it, it's kind of interesting that he is going to have to make some more appearances. And I'm wondering, you know, if that's going to give him the kind of itch again and maybe be like he wrestles these few matches and he's like, all right, you know what? That was a freak accident that happened at double or nothing. I can actually keep doing this and then decide that he wants to continue wrestling. Yeah. It's hard to really know how that's completely going to turn out, but yeah, I think that it's fair to, to think that that's a possibility. Yeah. So we'll keep our eyes out on Leo rush, see what happens here. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he wrestles, come back to wrestle again. He's only 26 years old. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, other news, uh, Satoshi Kojima, he was defeated by Joe Doring on impacts, um, against all odds on Saturday. Uh, this coming up week on impact, Kojima will be taking on Rhino. So continuing his feud there by, uh, violence by design, uh, Rene Paquette and the IWGP us champ, John Moxley welcomed their first child uh, into the world this week. So congrats to Mox and uh, Renee Young there. Then the uh, Monday free match of the week, Reese Kataguchi, Juice Robinson, and Kushida taking on Sonata, Evil, and Bushi, which is uh, kind of a, a random match there for them to, to pick for a free match of the week here. So uh, let's uh, roll into these listener questions here. So uh, first from Viking Pain, his series of questions here. It says, first, uh, Okada said in his interview that the double titles was the second biggest mistake the company has ever made. I was curious, what do you guys think was the first? Yeah, that was a, I was wondering the same thing. I, I don't know if maybe, I mean, what did you think he was alluding to? Uh, maybe Anokiism? <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking, too. Like, that's the only thing that kind of makes sense to me. But in that sense, you'd sort of have to roll everything into one, you know, umbrella like the whole concept of uh, inokiism i suppose right yeah i can't think of anything else that like one other instant that he could have been talking about yeah i can't either so i don't know that i that's where my mind went yeah uh second question here says do you guys think that tanahashi would ever win the world title i think that even though he's at the tail end of his career, sooner or later, he'll win the belt just for it to have his name in, it, in its new lineage. Uh, that is an interesting thought. My, my whole thinking is once he beat Kenny Omega, that was sort of his like last run title run. But, you know, we this is a new lineage and it's a, kind of a new goal. Could there be a story later on where he wins this belt one last time? I think it's possible. But if I was betting, I would say probably not. Yeah, I, unless like it's necessary. Yeah, I don't think he's going to end up winning the world title. We've kind of seen with the first uh, champions. I feel like they're trying to create this kind of new generation and new kind of top guys um, to push forward in this new kind of era they're in. And obviously, Tanahashi is a still a top star. He, he is the ace, and you know he he saved New Japan during some very tough times, but. I don't think he's going to win the belt. I think he will definitely be a title challenger. Like you mentioned, there could, there could be the story of him kind of chasing this world title, which actually I forgot to mention in, you know, in the, one of the multi-man matches where uh, he was on the opposite side of LIJ. There was a moment there where um, he was going to hit the sling blade on Shingo, but Ibushi asked for the tag, and he was kind of fighting whether or not he wanted to tag 
Abushi in. Eventually, he did tag Abushi in, but he really wanted to hit that sling blade on Shingo. So they could be potentially setting up, you know, if Shingo defeats Abushi, they could do a Shingo Tanahashi match since Tanahashi did beat Shingo earlier in the year. But yeah, I don't think the ace is going to end up winning the world title. Yeah, and I think they've kind of lucked their way into that situation by having Shingo win because it, it does create, uh, you know, the the most recent two major guys to have beaten him were Osprey and Tanahashi. So you have ready-made challengers right there, and you know that's an easy story to tell, and it, it's something that would draw, especially considering how well received the first Tanahashi match was. So. Yeah, I love that match. So I would definitely be down for a Shingo Tanahashi rematch, especially for the uh, world title here. But yeah, I, I think the AC is going to chase, and I think it's going to be one of those situations where he just doesn't capture the title. Uh, his next question here, he says, uh, Chris uh, brought up something last week that was rather interesting. What if Okada wasn't going to win at all, like we all assumed, and Osprey retained? Well, Will would surely be facing Ibushi again. And let's say Ibushi Osprey was the original plan after two Wrestle Grand Slam shows. After all, with Ibushi beating Osprey for the title at the next big show. Now, if Osprey injured and Shingo as champ, do you guys think Shingo would be the one to drop the belt back to Ibushi instead? And how much of a buzzkill would that be for the product? So they did something similar with Tanahashi beating the departing Omega for the heavyweight title, only to drop it to Jay a month later, and Jay dropping it to Okada at MSG. I recall the rumor booking plan was for Omega to retain against Tanahashi and carry the belt to MSG where he would drop it to Okada. Okay. Well, I think this is an interesting question, but I think it, it almost like presupposes too many things, you know? Um, so, I mean, let's just say, for instance, I, I last week said I thought Okada was going to beat Will. Let's just say Chris was accurate in stating that maybe Will was going to beat Okada. Well, then the next thing that you bring up is you said, surely, you know, he was going to fight Abushi next, but that's something we don't actually know. I mean, I think it's already a stretch to assume that Osprey was going to retain, but, you know, keep in mind just prior to the cancellation of those two shows, we had a COVID outbreak. We had show cancellations, a tightening of the lockdown. A lot of a lot of things that happened that kind of limited New Japan's ability to book. Who's to say that Ibushi was going to beat Jeff Cobb, or who's to say that that even would have been the de facto number one contendership match? There is possibilities that with other people in the country and healthy, that they might have been telling different stories altogether, provided Osprey had even made it to that show that got canceled. So it's, it's hard for me to kind of speculate on all of this when I, you know, it's hard for me to even get past the first point of Osprey winning to jump into like the fantasy area with the rest of it. But, um, I will say this. I mean, I don't see a reason why if Osprey were to have retained that he needed to drop the belt in short order to anybody else right off the back of beating Okada. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, getting a big win like that over Okada, you would think that he would probably be getting a, a long title reign. We do know normally first-time champions don't always have the longest reign, so him dropping it quickly, I could see that. But after beating Okada, I don't think that would have made much sense. Um, I mean, as, as far as Ibushi, that they were building the Ibushi Cobb match before Russell Grand Slam got canceled. So I was, I was assuming that that match probably would have happened on one of those shows. 
the the thing is with his question, he's assuming Abushi Osprey is the next big match, and because Osprey obviously needed to go home, he's going to drop the belt. But who's to say that he doesn't retain? This is what Chris said last week. He retains and then he goes home and rests up, you know, mm-hmm. for the remainder of the tour. We saw tours where Kenny Omega was champion that he wasn't even on the tours as the IWGP champion. So, I mean, there's some precedent there as well. Uh, it's not necessary that he had to, as the champion, be active and present on the whole tour, you know, especially if if he was able to, to go home, rest up, and get prepared to come back. Right. So, I mean, I yeah, the rest, I understand what you're saying, and I see I see the logic here. I just, I feel like it's just uh, assuming too many things. So, do you think it would be a buzzkill if Ibushi beat Shingo whenever they have their title match? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, in this case, because uh, Ibushi f- doesn't feel hot anymore, and Shingo does. Yeah, e- even after uh, that awesome match with Jeff Cobb, I, mean, I, th- I feel like Cobb was the one that kind of stood out in that match there, and people were talking, or really talking about Cobb's performance, not Ibushi. So he definitely fe- feels lukewarm right now. Yeah, I'm not going to talk shit about Abushi or say he's not great. We all know he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He just, as a character, he just doesn't feel hot to me. Right. And so, yeah, and there's obviously, the, we talked about last week how the whole family just seems to be, you know, ecstatic about Jingo winning and being the champion. And so, yeah, I think a, a title switch here would definitely kind of have some uh, people scratching their heads on what's going on. Uh, next question, he says, did you guys catch the Big Stardom show this last weekend? The main event was fantastic and getting a lot of love, particularly from Uncle Dave. I didn't see it. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but the, you know, it sounds like he might go five or above on it, which will infuriate, you know, the, the WWE women's wrestling fans. Yeah, the, the Sasha avatars are, are not going to be uh, happy if, if Uncle Dave goes over five on that matchup. Um, <laughs> didn't get a chance to watch it yet. Definitely, it's in, in the queue to watch. Um, you know, hearing it's obviously a, a match of the year contender. Uh, Philly Tom Lawler said it's his uh, favorite match of the year. It's being Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's been getting a ton of praise uh, from Dave. Thing it's probably one of the best, you know, women's matches ever. Um, our own resident Dr. Joshi James Boyd loves the match as well. Uh, so yeah, definitely going to check it out. Uh, his next question here: Do you guys uh, think it's time for Western promotions to just plaster sponsor labels on tum- on turnbuckles, canvases, and mats like how the UFC and New Japan do it, and get rid of commercial breaks altogether? Commercials just kill momentum in combat sports. Um. The UFC still has commercials. <laughs> Any anytime anyone's on television, there's going to be commercials. Uh, New Japan's not on television, so there's no commercials. Um, so, you know, I, I'm fine if Western Promotions want to get that money, whatever. But there will always they they need commercials. That's where most of the money is. Yeah, like you said, yeah. As long as they're on TV, there will be commercials. I do like the idea of having you know selling sponsorships on, on the ring. Um, the canvas on the turnbuckles. I think it's New Japan's look cool like that. And yeah, I think it would be a great way for companies to get additional revenue, especially some of the smaller companies. I've ne- I've never been a big fan of it personally. Um, I I put up with it, but like I I remember growing up watching the classic New Japan matches, and like I remember when they did the BVD 
sponsorship, which like eventually I grew to like that as well. But initially I was like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I found out like it was like a, a boxer briefs, you know, company. And I was like, why? And then, you know, fast forward and there's like every sponsorship under the sun and, you know, it is what it is. But, uh, I, I like when, I like, uh, when, uh, like on strong where it's just like the classic blue mat, you know, mm-hmm. just, just a lion mark in the middle. Not, yeah. I don't even like that. I like when it, I like when the show first started, like when they just had that cerulean blue, blue plane. Yeah. Yeah. Just the blue mat. Um, Next question, a bit of random question, but last week my nephew caught Dominion with me was asking all sorts of things about wrestling in general. One of them was, why do wrestlers wear wrist tape? I honestly didn't know the answer to that. I remember hearing it either to protect the wrist from breaking or to hide things like blades, but I'm not sure and was wondering if you guys knew. Well, young boy, you're you're the worker of the two here. Why do y'all wear wrist tapes? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there actually are some legit reasons. Um, and then there's some kayfabe reasons, but the real reason is you fuck up your wrists pretty bad when you're like wrestling. And in fact, it's pretty important to strengthen your wrists regularly, um, doing different workouts to focus on the wrist, which sounds funny, but it, it is a real thing. Um, just like how wrestlers work on grip strength as well. But, um, you know, if your wrists are sore, you tape them up. Uh, most guys, especially guys who've been wrestling for a long time, when they're training, they they tape up their wrists. So it's not just a for show thing. It is like there is an actual reason. The other the other thing too is um, there's a lot of maneuvers in wrestling where people are grabbing each other's wrists and you sweat and you need friction there. Um, I'm not saying it's 100% necessary, but the one of the reasons you see the majority of guys wearing wrists, you know, wrist tape is, you know, if someone's, I don't know, let's say if someone's holding you up and, and the move requires them to have a good grip on your wrists, or even for just like a, like let's say an Irish whip or something, you want to have something that they can hold on to, you know, so they don't drop you or something like that, you know, or hurt you in some way. So, and then from like a kayfabe standpoint, there's like the whole, you know, thing of like something you can get a grip onto as well, you know? So there's that, the, the, the traction and yeah, it is true. Guys do hide gigs and blades, you know, in their wrist tape amongst other places. So there's that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a legit thing. Like, you know, guys tape up their wrists, even when crowds are not watching all the time. Nice. So uh, moving on to questions here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Uh, he says recently Kaisuke Okuda posted a selfie with GOK and Ben K retweeted it. When GOK was asked about recruiting, that's going to mean the uh, great Ocon, uh, he said United Empire had their eyes on those two. Well, I don't think Gre- Dragon Gate will be lending those two because one is possibly an ace and the other is champion. How exciting would it be if they did compete in the junior division? I'd give Ben K the win in Best of Super Juniors. Any fancy booking ideas you would have in mind if these two showed up? Well, since, I mean, I'm not as big on Dragon Gate. Um, I know Ben K. I don't know Keisuke Okuda. Um, I will say this. I no, no outsider has ever won Best of the Super Juniors. We did um, the final countdown um, 
you know, uh, special last year where we examined and reviewed every single Super Junior final. And while, yes, there have been guys that have made it to the finals that were outsiders, they never win. And the ones that did win were signed with the company at that moment or shortly thereafter and became mainstays of the company. Um, so it's not like they're out here, like just giving love to like Dragon Gate or DDT or whoever, you know, they're, right. that, that's not really what the point of Super Juniors is. So I, if I was New Japan, I wouldn't have any of those guys win anything unless, unless I was poaching them, you know, <laughs> other yeah. than that, like, I mean, I don't know them that well. I know Ben K. I know he's very good, but yeah, United Empire definitely needs a junior, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen a few of Ben K's stuff uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, great talent, and like O'Connor said in the interview, the, the United Empire are looking for juniors. So, it would be if, if that's the case. Yeah, cool, bring him in and give you know United Empire a junior. Uh, but like you said, I don't see these guys, you know running rough shot if they're not under contract. And we, we've seen, like you mentioned, in Super Juniors, that New Japan did a lot of poaching, especially kind of out of that early uh, 2010s with guys, you know, Ricochet coming over from Dragon Gate and Ibushi coming from DDT and all these guys coming from other promotions that they used in junior tournaments. Uh, when they won, they were getting signed up for, and used on, on tours. So we'll see what happens if uh, Great O'Conn's actually, if there's any smoke to that fire of him bringing in Ben K. Uh, next question with boxing having a showcase aka tune-up weekend which of the fighters are more likely to put on a better show Nayoya Anui uh, Tefemo Lopez Jamel Charlo and Jamie Minguia Minguia yeah Um, yeah, that's a great question I don't really know I guess let's just say uh, Teofimo I mean, Anui's really great. Charlo's really great. I'm not as familiar with Manguia, to be honest with you. But, I mean, uh, all those guys should win their, their fights. But uh, Teofimo, he, I've been wanting to see him, you know, um, have a fight since, you know, since he upset Loma and all that. So this should be pretty good to see. But um, I think it's just kind of like a tune-up fight from what I understand. Gotcha. Uh, he also asked, let's uh, talk about the real fight of the weekend, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. versus Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, when he was at his athletic prime, trained at the wild card gym, was getting pressure to the ropes and schooled. Is this a strategy that even JCC Jr. can't screw up? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason that uh, JCC Jr. shouldn't be able to just completely smoke Anderson Silva. Uh, I'm surprised the fight's even happening. I wanted Anderson Silva to fight Roy Jones. Not that he had a chance, but at least, um, you know, at least that was something that was like kind of compelling given the, the fact of like who they both were and when they were trying to make that fight happen and everything. But, um, you know, I don't know what to expect here, really. <laughs> I expect Julio Cesar Chavez to just fuck him up, probably. Next question here from Ethan Black says, favorite NJPW match and worst NJPW match of all time? Uh, that's a tough question. Um, what, uh, Jeremy? 
<laughs> so uh, for me, uh, favorite match is pretty easy. Favorite match of all time, which the, the anniversary was this past week, and that would be the the two out of three falls for the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Kazuchika Okada taking on Kenny Omega at Dominion. Uh, easily my my favorite New Japan match of all time, and just how epic uh, that match was, and, and Kenny finally getting the big win and getting the title there. Uh, now, worst match of all time. Uh, I don't know if there's one in particular that I could say. I mean, New Japan for the most part has some really good matches, but there there have been some stinkers since we've been doing this. But probably the first thing that comes to mind is probably I was going to say Naito and Evil from last year's Dominion. Yeah, there's there's some worse ones. Um, there's some really really bad ones. I mean. There's the infamous, this is probably the right answer, Sting versus Tony Palmore from New Japan Battle 7, January 4th, 1995. That's That actually is like one of the all-time absolute worst um, tournaments in history. That match got negative four stars from Dave Meltzer. <laughs> and then on the other side of the bracket, it was a one-night tournament, Antonio Inoki against Gerard Gordeaux. Oh, and keep in mind, this is a shoot fight tournament with Sting in it. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> it, yeah, it was a martial arts tournament. St- uh, Antonio Inoki against Gerard Gordeaux got negative two stars from Dave Meltzer on the same night. And then um, Sting against Inoki isn't as bad as those matches, but it's still pretty bad. It got negative one star from Dave Meltzer on that night. So you're talking about a negative six-star tournament. <laughs> altogether uh so that kind of stands out um i don't know elegante against yasuda from dantaku 1994 is famously bad that's like negative two stars um i don't know oh sakuraba and yuji nagata against the gracie brothers daniel and holes gracie at wrestle kingdom eight is that's negative one star it's got that's famously famously bad there have been some, a lot of a lot of like late stage Inoki matches are really bad. Um, I don't know. Yano's been involved in quite a few duds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's the stuff that I know of that's like really bad that I can think of. I'm sure Andre the Giant's been in some pretty bad stuff too. If I'm, you know, thinking about it. My favorite New Japan match ever. That's a tough one. I don't know what my favorite New Japan match is. I, I like, feel like for you, since you've, you've been watching so much and have so much of the history, it might be easier for you maybe to pick one for each decade, maybe. Yeah, I could probably do that. So um, in the 70s, my favorite 70s New Japan match is easily Antonio Inoki against Billy Robinson, two out of three falls. That's like a near five-star match. Uh, Broadway. So it's the only reason I've never recommended it. I don't want to make Jeremy watch a one-hour match that, from, from from 1975 if he doesn't want to. Um, so there's that. From the 80s, um, I go back and forth on this, but probably my favorite 1980s New Japan match is probably – that's tough. It, it, I don't know. I'll say Vader and Stan Hansen. 
or, I'm sorry, Andre the Giant and Stan Hansen from 81. Um, although on the show I've said, I've said other answers. I've said Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid. I've also said, uh, UWF against, um, against New Japan, the gauntlet match. That one's really good. It's up there from the nineties. Oh man, there's some really good ones. Um, damn, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, probably, I mean, it's probably Benoit against Sasuke from the J-Cup finals. That's probably the right answer. From the 2000s, um, so, um, yeah, freaking uh, Kawada and Sasuke. From the Dome, January 4th, that one. And from the 2010s, yeah, it's probably Kenny and Okada. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, there's, like, literally, there's so much out there. Like, I don't know. I could, I could maybe go Okada Shibata, actually. Mm. Yeah, that's that's right up there as well. I mean, you can throw that up there. You can throw any of the, the Okada-Tanahashi matches. I think there's, there, there, are, there are some people who like... The, the first Omega Okada way better than any of the other matches in the series. I like Okada Omega 1 better than the rest of the series up until the fourth match. Mm. But, but, I mean, there's a lot out there, man. I mean, literally, we could if, if we're talking about what I like, I mean, we could be here all day, literally. <laughs> yeah, especially when you, you look back at some of those, you know, you know, Liger matches, those special super juniors, and uh, we got Kanemoto and got that running around, some of the Anoki stuff. I mean, New Japan just has a Bro, rich history. Well, I mean, yeah, and I didn't even like, I mean, some of the Hashimoto stuff, some of the, the that Choshu match that I recommended a few weeks ago, that was months ago, it was really, really good. Um, the G1 final with him and uh, from 90, I think it's 98, him and. Um, Oh God! Why do I always forget names? It doesn't matter. Like the G one final from '98 with him and whoever. <laughs> uh, I always forget names, but it's a, that that match blows me away. Like there's just a lot, man. Yeah. Then you you mentioned you, you get back in the 2000s. You you think about the, the Shibata and Okadas and Nakamura. Um, had a lot of great matches. Um, obviously Tanahashi. There's a ton of great talent with, with a ton of great matches over the years. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a loaded question. That's a really, really, really tough one to kind of answer, honestly. Yeah. So then, uh, let's see. Kazao Yamazaki. <laughs> yeah, the G1 finals with Yamazaki and Hashimoto. Remember, that was the one where he kept sweeping the legs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one fucking rules. Uh, so let's wrap up these questions here with a series of questions from uh, Dom Homie 101. Uh, first, he asks Between Okada, Naito, Jay White, Abushi, and Tanahashi, who will be the first one to win the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship? Well, Abushi's um, already won it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that would be the first, that would be the correct answer. 
All right, let's let's take Ibushi yeah, out of the, the picture. <laughs> um, out of Okada, Naito, Jay White, and Tanahashi, I feel like the right answer is Okada, but I mean, who knows? You know, right? It could I mean, be Naito. Yeah, I think Okada maybe seen like the the obvious answer, but I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna go with Jay White. It could be Jay. I just I didn't pick him because he's got the secondary belt right now. Yeah, I'm just hoping for a, a long Shingo title run. And then eventually, maybe Jay will drop the never title, and eventually, yeah, we don't even really know what's going on with Jay White. Like Jay White had COVID reportedly, and then he was quarantining, and then now apparently he's back in the states. I know he's got a question here. He says, "How do you guys think Jay White will play into things when he returns to Japan?" And like, I don't really know the answer to that. Right, like you mentioned, obviously he's still the never open weight champion, and we've seen this kind of transition of the never title into the the secondary title with the IC being gone now, and and seeing you know guys like Jay and Tanahashi fight over it. So, I think that's probably going to see some guys who aren't doing anything kind of in that secondary picture. Like maybe if Jay was here, maybe it'd be like maybe Jay and Naito for the never title, Jay and Sonata. Yeah, the the other thing too is like, you know, I, this is just me speculating, but may, Jay might be completely happy, right? He might be totally fine, but there had been those reports that when him and Dave Finley had caught COVID and then they were quarantining in the dojo, they were not happy with that. Then you kind of combine that with, remember earlier this past year, he there's speculation of whether he was resigning or not. Apparently he did. We don't know for how long. Probably more than a year. But what if it is just a one year deal? You know. And what if there were, was a little bit of uh, smoke to the story about you know, you know, Gaijin talent being upset and the foreign unrest and everything like that. I just think about how hot he was prior to his return, and then he got cooled down real real quick with the way they brought him back and then the way they've used and implemented him since then i don't know if i was jay white that i'd be like totally happy right now you know with how everything has gone um over this past year especially with like kind of feels like they had a a ready-made story for him when he came back with the bullet club and with evil and they didn't pull the trigger on any of it I don't know, man. I'm I'm just speculating here, but I feel like they've missed a lot of opportunities with him over the past year. Yeah, they definitely dropped the ball with the whole contract storyline, and you know, this is not Jay talking. This is Jamie. I'm going home and all that stuff. And right, uh, yeah, I think that, that could have been really intriguing. They could have done some cool stuff there. Like you mentioned, I mean, there was so much buzz. You had you had people who don't even watch New Japan full time who. Saw that storyline, and saw the news, and we're hoping, you know, hoping Jay would go to WWE, and that didn't happen. And yeah, they could have done so much more with that storyline. But the only thing we can say for sure is when he comes back, it seems as though him and Dave Finley have a date set. So that's what we do know. So yeah. Uh, next question: Is it possible that the United Empire could add more members to the group since Osprey is out for the near future? Uh, it is possible. I don't know that they would establish a new leader but i think it just depends on what stories they're trying to tell the one glaring you know um sort of hole that they have is they don't have a junior in their ranks so that might be something to think about yeah i think 
pretty much all factions that eventually get made kind of fill out all the spots. And Ocon did mention in that interview that they do want to be able to win every title in New Japan. And so obviously they, they need a, a junior if they want to do that. So I think at some point, whether that's a, a junior that's going on excursion, coming back from excursion, or um, he didn't mention too that you know the the, pan, the pandemic it has could have potentially stopped them from growing the empire. So there were rumors of guys from Rev Pro potentially joining the empire. So maybe maybe there's a junior in Rev Pro that's kind of waiting for things to open up and, and come in and get a visa. So I definitely think the group will grow. Especially once uh, borders open up, we might see a junior. We might even see some more heavyweights add to the group. Uh, the next question we kind of touched on already. Any thoughts on Fred Rosser putting pen to paper by signing with New Japan? Any other thoughts on Fred? Mm, we pretty much touched base on it, honestly. I, uh, congratulations to him. Excited to see what comes of it. But, um, you know, I don't even know the nature of what the deal is to begin with. You know, I think it's... Uh, a lot of speculation at this point. It, it, it'll be exciting to kind of see. Yeah. Uh, Non-New Japan question. He asks, what are your guys' thoughts on Karrion Cross, current NXT champion? Um, I mean, I, I've seen more of his work from prior to NXT. I Right now, I'm not spending a lot of time watching NXT. I, I didn't even watch the uh, TakeOver special because just I've got no investment or intrigue. But, uh, I've always thought he had a great look, and I've enjoyed his work. But from what I've seen since he got to WWE, I think he's having a lot of trouble assimilating to their style. Yeah, it's pretty funny because in in the group chat today, Carrion uh, Cross come up and there's a lot of talk about him and him as the NXT champion, how that's not been working. Um, you know, I saw some of his stuff as Killer Cross. I mean, I thought it was good. I was never a, a huge fan. I, I wasn't like super psyched when he came to NXT, and uh, I really haven't enjoy how they've been presenting him thus far and uh to me he's just kind of kind of bland in the nxt system I think, like you mentioned i don't think he kind of he's not really acclimated to the the nxt style uh yeah i, I think he, he's fine he's good but if it was me he would not be my nxt champion he wouldn't be somebody that i'm pushing and having him beat you know five or four of my main adventures in one night so uh, moving on, he says, time for a little bit of fight talk. Thoughts on the MMA debut of the GWOT Clarissa Shields? Yeah, I was uh, I was glad to see that she overcame. Um, you know, I, I talked about this last week when the question was asked, you know, how I thought she would do. And I said, you know, that I thought she would be able to, to overcome, but that she might run some issues. I think that's exactly what happened. In the middle of the fight, there was clearly some um some holes in her game but she's learned enough at this point early on to be competitive and dominate and you know she, she beat that girl's ass so <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know if i would say personally i don't know if clarissa shields is in fact the greatest of all time for women's boxing i she's definitely top five you know i'd put her up there with like Cecilia Brackus, uh, Layla Ali, Ann Wolf, and probably like Lucia Riker. Those are like I don't know what order I'd put them in, but she's she might even be like top two, top three. But um, yeah, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how this uh, experiment kind of continues. I hope she continues to have more success. 
uh, in MMA. But I mean, personally, like I want to see your box. Mm. Uh, next question: Any thoughts on UFC two sixty three? What is next for the fighters that took part in this event? Um, I actually didn't watch UFC two sixty three this week. I I had something else going on. I don't remember what it was. But uh, Jeremy, you watched it, right? Yes, I did. Uh, pretty good uh, UFC. Uh, so I'm pulling up the results here. Remember what happened? Uh, so main event we had uh, Adesanya. Uh, defeating uh, Brandon Moreno by referee. no no <laughs> oh sorry I was not defeating uh, Adesanya beat Vittori Vittori by a uh, decision referee decision there went all five rounds for the uh, the middleweight uh, championship uh, thought it was a good fight I mean I thought Israel was pretty much in control uh, of the fight for, for all five rounds for uh, Marvin would try to. Uh, you know, he, he was take him down. Yeah, take him down. There was a couple of times where he got Asanya down, but Asanya would get up very quickly. Did not spend a lot of time on the ground uh, when Marvin took him down. Uh, working the strike games, Israel. He's, he's just so fast and it's ducking and dodging, and was just getting some good strikes in on Marvin. And I think he just easily kind of outclassed him there, especially the last two rounds. And uh, once again, Marvin kind of you know in their first fight. He, he thought he won by, by decision, but didn't. And same thing here. He kind of thought that he won as well. But Yeah, big, bou- big bounce back for Adesanya. Um, you know, coming off that big loss at light heavyweight to uh, Lehovich. So, you know, a return to form here at the middleweight division. I think people kind of wanted to see him blow out Vittori. Uh, he got the dominant win uh, by decision. But I, I don't know if this was exactly the kind of performance that you know, his fans were hoping for, but we'll, we'll see what happens next from there. Um, flyweight co-main event. We had Davison Figueredo against Brandon Marino. This is a rematch from their draw from earlier. I think this year, maybe it was last year. I can't remember. Um, Moreno submitted, um, Figueredo to unseat the flyweight title from him, which is really cool because Brandon Marino was like cut from the UFC in 2018 and to kind of see him work his way back. I remember watching him on um, Ultimate Fighter, the the season with all the champions back in like 2016. As like a young kid from, you know, uh, Mexico, I believe. Oh, yeah, he's the first. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because he's the first Mexican-born UFC champion. Right, and that was kind of a big deal there. And uh, also they were in Arizona, which is uh, kind of they had like a big like Mexican fan base there. And so kind of a big emotional moment for him. Yeah, gained the rare naked choke uh, victory here at two minutes, 26 seconds in uh, round three. And this was cool, too, because um, it's just another continuation of a story of guys who were kind of written off in the sport and then made their way back. I mean, Lahovich was one of those guys, and he's champion right now. Same thing with uh, – Oh man, why do I forget names? Literally, like one of my favorite fighters. Uh, who's the lightweight champion right now? Uh, Freaking a! What is wrong with me? Um, I'm just yeah. Gonna have to pull the Google machine up on that one. Yeah, I'm gonna feel stupid when I see it because yeah, Charles Oliveira. Yeah, Du Bronx. God, what the fuck's wrong with me? Um, anyways. Yeah, Marino is just another one of those guys that's kind of like made his way back and and was written off and won the belt and you know it'll it'll be cool to see what happens from here. Um, other notable things: Damian Maya lost to Bilal Muhammad by decision, three rounds. Seems like this will be 
his swan song in the UFC. Like he's saying he wants another UFC fight, but like, you know, Dana White's pretty much saying he's done. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, Leon Diaz. Yeah. Lost to Leon Edwards. Yeah, this is kind of crazy. Nate Diaz came out and just proved what kind of fucking superstar he is. The reception he got from the fan and the, the fans in the audience was just, you know, thunderous. And even though the whole fight was controlled by Edwards through, you know, five rounds. Um, and I mean, look at that. Like they had to they gave them five rounds in a non-title fight. Right. Like, kind of give them the, the special uh, treatment there for Nate Diaz. But yeah, huge superstar, huge pop, huge reaction. Uh, huge DS chances throughout the fight. Diaz kind of uh, very unorthodox. So was kind of goofing around a little bit, kind of you know putting himself in, in positions that would kind of make um, Leon get his guard down. That he would kind of strike and uh, towards the the end of the last round, there he hit a big right on Leon that had him kind of uh, wobbly feet there, but he couldn't uh, finish it and put Leon away. So yeah, he came very close to finishing Leon Edwards at the very end of the fight and. Um... You know, clearly he didn't, but that's this is almost like the perfect outcome for the UFC because Leon Edwards on paper is the guy that should win here at welterweight, and he did, and it puts him one step closer to being you know top contender for the title. No one's really wanted to fight Leon Edwards; like everyone's been you know ducking him like the boogeyman for good reason. So he picks up the win, but Nate Diaz, even though he lost almost the whole fight. He looked like he won the fight at the very end of it. any any layperson who's watching it sees him like almost finish this guy in the last few seconds. They're going to be excited. It, it 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 puts Nate Diaz, even though he lost, it puts him in a good light. Like this is like almost like the perfect, you know, thing from a marketing standpoint for them. Um, so you know, Nate will continue and you know probably make big money in his next fight if they can come to terms. And then um, Paul Craig broke Jam- uh, Jama Hill. Jama Hall Hill's arm in round one. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Uh, got 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 in the arm bar there. Looked like he was tapping out. Ref didn't see it. Didn't call for the tap. Then he got put in a triangle, um, and ref finally uh, called it there. But that was a pretty uh, nasty break there. So yeah, didn't see the the event, but I kept up with uh, the highlights and everything like that. Uh, sounds like it was a pretty good show, honestly. Yeah, good stuff there. Um, he asked, "What's what's the biggest money fight that UFC could put on?" I think John Jones and um, Ngannou? Francis Ngannou. Yeah, but um, the the only other two fights I could think of that could hypothetically be bigger would be like. Um, Maybe Khabib versus Conor McGregor too, mm. or Khabib versus George St. Pierre. But you know, Khabib's probably retired, so I don't see either of those two things happening. Yeah, and what, what's the deal with GSP? Is he still under contract with UFC? So the deal is, yeah, he is under contract. He's he's retired from MMA. He's not fighting. Um, but he has a contract with them in the event that he does fight. He he was being contacted to potentially box Oscar De La Hoya in one of those you know freak show exhibition fights, and the UFC like pretty much blocked it because they argued that he is under contract to them, even though it's boxing, it's a different sport. They wouldn't let him do it, so it kind of fell apart. 
But, I mean, he says he's not going to fight again. Like, I think he was game to possibly fight if it was against um, against Khabib, but I don't think they were able to, like, come to financial terms. Mm. So, I mean, he hasn't fought. His last fight was against um, – uh, it doesn't matter. It's when he won the middleweight title. Um, you know, that was like 2017, 2018, something like that. Hmm. I thought, I think, didn't he have a non-title fight after that? Or no? No. Okay. Uh, they were actually like pretty mad because the idea was he was going to fight for the middleweight belt. And then he actually, he fought Bisping. That's right. He fought Bisping at the end of 2017 and the deal was he wasn't a, he's not a middleweight. He spent his whole career at welterweight and they, the, the agreement was that once he fought Bisping, if he won, he would stick around to defend the title at middleweight. And he was small that night and he had a lot of trouble getting up to that weight. And he actually had some um, health issues making the weight and decided not to fight again at that weight, and so he vacated the title. So the UFC felt screwed because they gave him the shot, and then he won the belt and then vacated it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Pulled a, pulled a Will Ospreay? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for all the questions this week. Uh up next, we have a recommended match of the week last week. Chris Samsa was on. He recommended for us to watch uh, Kojima versus Shingo from uh, Dominion. I believe that was 2019. Yes. Yeah, you get a chance to uh, rewatch this matchup. Yep. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it's a nice little gem. Um, still holds up. Still hard hitting. Um you know, this was the first true heavyweight match that Shingo had had in his run with New Japan and, you know, the inaugural match against um, Kojima. And Kojima made him, you know, look like a tough son of a bitch. And, you know, these two guys hit each other hard as fuck and it didn't overstay its welcome. I mean, it's very enjoyable. I like this match a lot, still like it. And, you know, I don't know, what, three and three quarters? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I watched it again. Really enjoyed it. I love Shingo. I love Kojima. Like you mentioned, that kind of hard-hitting, narrow-style matchup. A great matchup to establish Shingo, uh, to get him into the G1. And, you know, that that Dominion is very interesting. I feel like that Dominion kind of planted the seeds for a lot of kind of future stuff and a lot of cool stuff. You know, we had Kenta coming out, announcing his G, uh, run the G1. John Moxley uh, coming into the G1. Um, and then Shingo here beating Kojima to kind of make his transition over, um, start transitioning over to heavyweight and to be in the G1. So a lot of cool stuff coming from that Dominion, especially this Kojima-Shingo uh, matchup here. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it. It's going to uh, take us to the um, <clears throat> recommended match of the week. This week it's my turn, and I am recommending something that is easy to find it's on youtube as well as daily motion but it is and it's a famous match but it's not on new japan world for whatever reason uh and this is the actually i had it let me go back people were asking us crazy questions on the show they had me kind of jumping all over the place the um 
April 28th, 1991 singles match from the Explosion Tour between Jushin Thunder Liger versus Owen Hart for the IWGP Junior title. This is rated four and a half by Wrestling Observer Newsletter from that year. It's got an 8.28 on cage match. And at just under 15 minutes, this is the single longest singles match of Owen Hart's entire New Japan tenure. And highly recommended. This is the third match that these two ever had against one another in New Japan. And it's the rubber match. Nice. Uh, Love Owen, love Liger. Can't go wrong with uh, that combination there, especially for your title in a big match situation so looking forward to uh checking that out and talking about that next week in uh oh that. you know what actually i apologize that is incorrect they wrestled each other 10 times in new japan this was the final match between them and the the fifth televised match that they had ever had gotcha and, you know, and, and you know what? That makes sense. I, I, I always forget some of I've, – I've actually seen most of these matches. Um, I have not seen the one from 87 that they had, but I've seen both 88 matches when, when it's Owen Hart against Kichi Yamada. And, yeah, this is the second time that they – oh, and you know what? I apologize too. I said that this was uh, – for the junior title, it's not. This is during the top of the Super Juniors tour. Gotcha. So say the uh, the show name again and the date for that again. April 28th, New Japan Explosion Tour. And uh, very easy to find. You can find it right on YouTube or on Daily Motion. If you just Google Owen Hart versus Jushin Liger, it's like the first thing that pops up. Nice, but yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, checking that out. And uh, before we go, remember head over to socialsuplex.com/vote. Um, vote for the the best fantasy card, which is also happens to be the Keeping a Strong Style card. So go out, support us, uh, get your votes in, and that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Uh, next week we'll be back to review more of the Kazuna Road Tour. We'll be checking in on Suji and Yumura. On their uh, gauntlet series Also we'll have that never six man title match To talk about as well If you enjoyed today's show Please consider making a donation By visiting socialsuplex.com Click on the donate button Under the Keeping It Strong style logo Make sure you connect with us on social media On Twitter The show is at AI Strong Style The network is at Social Suplex You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash Suplex. Find the Wrestling Sports Circle group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Sports Circle. On Instagram, we're at Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. That's Stephen the Strong Style. Email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. You can check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. A link for that's in the show description. Make sure you check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Issue Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. The 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2. All Things Elite with Lloyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Itchy bum. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. 
We'll see you next time.